0: Welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews, and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT head of content, and I'm here with our senior content producer, Sam Davis. Hello, Sam. Hello, Laura. We are recording live today from TCT 360 in Birmingham. We, we have been seeing lots of new things, lots of UK firsts. We've had a really busy couple of days here at the NEC, um, including our awards evening last night. How are you feeling, Sam? Sleepy. Yeah.
1: Very tired. Um, Yesterday was a really early start and a really, really late finish. Mm -hmm. Um, And today is, I don't know, I'm tired, but it's not been too bad. When we're in Rapid, I feel like the tiredness is different because it's jet lag. It is. Whereas this is all in one time zone, so it's kind of... Fine, you kind of get on with it. Um, so I've not been as moany as I'd normally be.
0: You haven't actually, no. yeah.
1: <laughs> Cheers. Sorry.
0: I mean, we have just spent our sound check talking about what we'd like to eat at Nando's in the next hour, so yeah. That, <laughs> that probably helps.
1: That does help, definitely helps.
0: So, as I say, today we're recording live from TCT360. Uh, it's the final day. We're going to be discussing our highlights from the show floor and the conference. And also covering last night's TCT award ceremony with some special features, including an innovators on innovators segment of the episode. So it's a little bit of a change up to what we usually do. Um, with our 2020 Hall of Fame inductees, who we would have inducted at the time, but finally we were able to celebrate last night. And um, Terry Wallace and Phil Dickens, and an extended clip of a fireside chat with the winner of the TCT Women's 3D Printing Innovator Award, Elian Fu. And we'll also hear from the 2022 Hall of Fame inductee we'll reveal a little bit later, but probably gone out already.
1: <laughs> but yeah, by the time they hear this, are will probably know.
0: Yeah, well, look at the suspense going, yeah. it's fine. Um, so yeah, let's try and do this pretty speedily, because uh, as we learned from Rapid Sam and I picked the worst times ever to break down trade shows, uh, usually when there's lots of loud banging going on around us, so we've been told we have about half an hour <laughs> to get out of this room. So yeah. let's kick things off. Um, Sam, what have you seen on the show floor this week?
1: So I've seen a couple of machine launches slash updates. Um, The first is from a young company called Construct3D. Um, So they're bringing to market the Construct1 and the Construct1 mini machines that are based on FDM technology, but their key selling point seems to be all about speed. Um, So they had various parts on their stand and they were comparing their print speed times with other of, of FDM uh, suppliers so they're capable of printing material at up to 320 millimeters per second um, thanks to a 0.6 millimeter copper nozzle um, on the Construct 1 and a 0.4 millimeter nozzle on the Construct 1 mini um, as well as a rigid frame so they're really focused on the components and the kind of durability of the machine um, and the company says that helps them to save up to 40% average print time so um they had both of the machines printing live on the show floor um there was a big queue actually when i went to see them so i only got to talk to them for a couple of minutes before they were like can we you know get on with selling the machine which is fair enough um and they as i said had loads of sample parts on there they had um a plant pot for example which took them two hours 25 to print compared to six hours on other fdm machines um and then there's also this big print of a of a castle which had pretty detailed features to be fair and filled like, the build volume of one of their machines and that took 46 hours to print wow. but that's in comparison to 164 hours on some other platforms on the market um, and then just earlier today I went over to see WeMatter who've launched uh, the latest model of Gravity 2022 their office friendly SLS machine mm-hmm. um, so this latest update is called the Mark 2 which has been equipped with an improved water cooling system um, to cool exactly when the machine needs it. And there's a protective window um, that removes some cleaning steps between print runs um, and makes the machine easier to use, which fits in with that office family nature. Mm -hmm. And There's also improved thermal capabilities that will allow more challenging materials to be processed. Um, And I was speaking to, spoke to Robert, the CEO, but earlier I was speaking to David, the the marketing guy there, and he was telling me that um, Materials is big on their agenda. It's, it's the first thing anyone wants to know when they're walking onto their stand and it, it, conversations don't get past the materials at this point. So they add nylons, uh, PPUs, TPUs. There's a glass fiber reinforced nylon on their stand as well. Um, and then the other big thing for them this year is improving their powder handling. Mm. So the way the gravity machines work is that you load cartridges of powder at the front of the system. So the nine two kilogram tubes or fill the machine full of powder and then the system automatically sucks the powder out and loads the build volume but post print it's currently a manual process to retrieve parts from the powder bed um, as you'll see with other others on the market and we are aiming to automate that and you know offer a truly office friendly solution Um, and they acknowledge that improvements have to be made there and so that's what they're working on at the moment and they told me that there should be an announcement towards the end of the year um, on that to improve that. And bit by bit, they get into a system that they believe is truly office friendly. Mm-hmm.
0: That's kind of cool because I think we WeMatter launched something at the last show six months ago as well. So it's nice to see that they're using TC360 as this kind of launch platform for the uh, new stuff. And I'm very worried that um, some of the things we're gonna be running through today, we're gonna to be writing full features on uh, yeah. very shortly for our review feature. So these will just be kind of brief run-throughs, mm-hmm. but um, it's been cool to see a, a few launches happening um, on the show floor this week. Um, just a couple that I wanted to mention. Um, for speaking to a company, because I really want to try and speak to as many UK companies as possible, because you know we're, we're, we're a UK-based event and we know there's so much additive manufacturing uh, research and development coming out of the UK. It's been cool to see some examples of that on the show floor. But the reason why I like WAM3D is because they come out of the university and have now commercialized a product, which they've launched at the show this week. So uh, WAM3D uh, came out of Cranfield University. They are a group of researchers who have been working in WAM for quite some time. So as, as their name may suggest, it's a wire arc additive manufacturing-based technology. And Cranfield has almost two decades of r and expertise focused on this process. Um, And what WAM have launched this week is really the culmination of all of these developments. Uh, They've launched a machine called the RoboWAM. It is a huge WAM system. I'm going to say WAM so many times. (laughs) With a maximum build volume of two by two by two meters and the ability to process um, any wire feedstock material. Um, I spoke to WAM3D co-founder and CEO, uh, Filamino Martina, at the show this week. And he was talking about the evolution of WAM technology and how it's this blend of we always say it, but hardware, software materials that have made uh, this truly the next generation of one technology. Um, and while the machine can use, um, you know, whatever kind of feedstock that um, that you want almost, um, they've developed their own materials um, that are kind of optimized for this process. And similarly, they've made their own software too. And there's a list of different software products that they've launched alongside this, um, all about uh, making sure that you've got um, consistency in your um, deposition and, you know, you can... Um, track the, the progress of a print things like that all of these things just to ensure that consistency um they're going after um a few different industrial markets mainly things like aerospace oil and gas the kind that you would imagine these big like mm-hmm. heavy parts coming into and i asked them about um you know kind of the the applications areas that, that they're seeing and um there's not really a focus on kind of like redesigning for additive manufacturing and you know it's about taking real parts and and using additive for that because um, you know the process just makes sense so um, I'm going to be doing um, a full report on that because it's a really interesting conversation and then luckily last night um, they actually took home one of our awards at the TCW so that was pretty cool and was a real validation of everything that they're doing because they, they were so excited I mean just um just looking at LinkedIn and the build-ups of the show and you know seeing them and um, looking forward to coming to TCT 360 and really putting an emphasis on their team and even though I kind of wanted to talk to them because they're a, a UK-based company mm. there's a real international effort that's gone into this all, all these different research institutes and, and people that have brought this knowledge from all over the world. Um, should we talk a little bit about some of the conference sessions that we've been in because I, I think this year I've managed to sit in a few more than we normally do I've
1: sit, I've sat in a few but I've only seen one all the way through which I know we'll come to um, a little later um, one of the ones I did catch a fair bit of though was the the first session on the north stage on Monday um, I think it was north stage but it was north or south <laughs> so it was one of them um, by Ashton University's uh, Dr Mark Prince and it it was one of those talks that fits really well into our evaluation and adoption themes at 360 Conference, mm-hmm. and obviously we have a load of optimization as well, but um, Mark was basically talking the audience through his steps to making AM work, uh, leaning on experiences from Aston University's advanced prototyping facility, um, and among the steps to making AM work, Mark suggested um, that people only buy a printer if they know why they're... Making that purchase, um, and only if they have the skills to use it, um, in addition to also identifying what workflow improvements and what you need from the tech and materials in terms of uh, mechanical properties and so on. Um, and identifying the skills you need in the first place is also a very important step. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark noted that that's perhaps the most difficult thing, um, at least in his experience, and can require a lot of time, a lot of trial and error, but it's. Um, a big consideration if you want to be successful with the technology. Um, And obviously, over the last couple of years, we made a big effort to get those kind of talks, um, you know, onto our stages at TC360. It's good to have those insights shared from people who've been through the process of adopting the technology, Mm -hmm. making the evaluations before, and then we obviously move on to optimisation alongside some of the for the topics and themes that um, have been discussed this week.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, talk was such a really good place to start. Like, if you're just walking into this show, I there's some great talks on both stages actually open up the session. I went to see um, Boston Consulting Group and they kind of started with a bit of an overview of the industry, you know, for which I think would have been useful for people that were, that were new to it. But they talked about us being over the hype and they said we are beyond the hype now the focus really is on making quality parts it's about real stuff we don't need the hype anymore which i thought was good because i know that um this industry has kind of suffered for for that hype really you know and and unfulfilled expectations that sort Mm -hmm. of thing um but now we really are seeing a lot of great examples of where the technology really fits and um you know what the good use cases and Yes, they were talking about some of the trends that are affecting additive manufacturing today but within the context of um, supply chain and also sustainability too, two of the key challenges that we've talked about an awful lot, which I know Mm. we're going to touch on (laughs) shortly too. so one of the biggest challenges that they highlighted was sustainability, um, and they talked about the fact that the topic has been accelerated given mounting pressure from policymakers and companies that are increasingly looking for greener methods of production. So that's their clients coming in, asking them about, you know, how, how can we make this, this greener? I know in the panel session that um, I hosted today, we talked about that in the context of it's a manufacturing maybe not been as green as we think it is but it does obviously have its advantages if you think smartly about it so um distributed manufacturing within that was poised as something that, that could really help that because you're not making lots of parts that you don't need not waste materials you're not you're not wasting um, energy and having to send these parts to all these different places and um so distributed manufacturing really was the, the key theme here and um, they said that Distributed manufacturing is poised as a piece in today's supply chain puzzle, and that includes geographical distribution, value creation, depth distribution, which was like this hybrid approach to uh, manufacturing, and temporal distribution, which is about producing bachelors, so this idea that you don't have to produce a thousand parts in a mm-hmm. go, you can just make one as you need it. Um, so according to the guys at Boston Resulting Group, AM unlocks all three of these scenarios. And they also talked about um, how, well, they were quite realistic, actually, because I think that that's also an important thing. We talked about these challenges and how AM can just help us solve them, but it's not a cure-all for everything. Mm. They talked about how AM is not really a cure-all for distributed, for, and distributed manufacturing, sorry. It's not really a cure-all for all problems. Um, and they suggest that there's five considerations that people really need to think about. And those are um, the complexity of your part portfolio, um, your process and technology that you're using not everything is going to fit every application uh, the kind of supply chain challenges that you have the skills and capabilities of your team um, and also regulatory requirements which is of course a, a big one with additive manufacturing so it was a really great talk and again another good intro piece I think before going off into all the more um, applications orientated uh, sessions today so uh, that was really cool any others Sam?
1: Um, should we mention global perspectives because I know it's something that you have been and will be working on um, going forward uh, alongside Todd Grimm so should we quickly touch on that?
0: I think so yeah so we had the very first global perspectives session it's very hard to say that Um, (laughs) session at CCT360 this week so this is going to be part of a new series uh, with uh, with Todd Grimm Gathering perspectives that you don't always get to hear about in the additive manufacturing industry. You know we are we're a UK-based show, but we have global perspectives coming and sharing their insights um, every single year. And it's about bringing those together to discuss uh, pertinent topics in the additive manufacturing sector. The one for this week was supply chain. Uh, which of course been a huge topic over the last few years we've talked about it a million times on this podcast and how additive manufacturing can play a role in that we had three different perspectives and um, from three different uh, locations three different areas of industry so um, like education uh, real industrial adoption and also um, consultancy as well so that was cool to have those three different ideas and the idea with this it's not a panel session it's supposed to be more of an open dialogue between the people that are speaking on the stage and also the audience and i was a little bit worried at first because i know that sometimes at your trade shows especially in the uk because we're too polite and um, people don't like to stick their hand up and and offer their opinion and todd was really keen to make sure that we do get diverse perspectives not just from the panelists like he, he really wanted that where if a panelist said something there was someone in the audience who said oh my god no i don't agree yeah. with that or someone in the audience who just maybe knew more about the topic than you know than, than somebody yeah. else. That he really wanted that that engagement. And at first, I thought, oh, are we going to get this? And um, because it's supposed to be a forum. And um, but we really did. And I was so glad when people stuck their hand up and started bringing up really uh, important issues. And one of the big things that came out of it was this idea of transformation. And when do we need to use mm. additive manufacturing? You know when. I think one of the um, people in the audience asked the question of like, how do I know when it's time to, to transform? And one of the panelists had a really great response. It's like, well, you know, if if one of your competitors is you know, outpacing you, for this, it's time to, to transform. Yeah. You need to keep ahead of, of people. And it was just really interesting. And I'm very excited for this series now and to see where we can take it and the kind of topics that we're going to cover. And Sam, I know you were sat in the audience for that. So um, I'm sure you probably had the same hesitation as me.
1: I did, but I think... The thing is about... So people in the UK are hesitant to kind of... I guess it's more of a public speaking thing because we're I think we're a very opinionated yeah. country of people. So they, those opinions are there. It's just teasing them out. And I think after about 20 minutes, the audience really started to kind of uh, engage with the concept. They were engaged with the panel and then they got engaged with the whole forum yeah. aspect of it and really started to... Um, share their thoughts and raise some really great things um particularly the transformation thing i thought that was a really good point of when do i go mm-hmm. um and then todd um kind of uh, gave an an analogy of you know what are the what's the kind of typical points if we can kind of broaden it and not make it specific to any and um, any one industry or company and then i think it was jennifer who said well a lot of the time is a Kind of crisis point, as we've all seen um, numerous times mm-hmm. over the last three years. That that's the thing that really kind of is the catalyst, I guess, for that transformation. Yeah. um And yeah, I really liked the the concept. Um, I know we've been discussing it for a few months in at various trade shows in various locations in various uh, hotel bars, and so it's quite <laughs> nice to see it all come together for the first time. And I'm looking forward to see where it goes next.
0: So let's move on to the TCT Awards. We had a really nice time last night. We were all suited and booted, more so than usual, Yeah, which was cool. Um, we had the wonderful Jason Bradbury on his hoverboard yeah. come in and introduce everybody. He told me I could have a go of it. That did not happen. I was very disappointed. Um, but it was a really good evening. It
1: I'm was- not disappointed that you didn't have a go of it because I need you to not have a broken leg that's or true neck or i can whatever. still type
0: with a broken leg
2: yeah you as well. are.
0: um so yeah it was it was a really enjoyable evening we've obviously not been able to gather in this capacity for such a long time the last tc awards was in 2019 and the big part of this night well i felt was the tc hall of fame inductees because as I mentioned at the start of the show there was two inductees in 2020 who we obviously weren't able to celebrate and we finally got the opportunity to uh, this year um, Terry Wallers and Phil Dickens we actually brought them together or rather Sam brought them together to record a special innovators on innovators discussion Sam do you want to kind of introduce this?
1: Yeah so basically the concept was to do a mini innovators uh, episode uh, Phil has already done one a few months back with Stephanie Brookfeed. Um so he kind of knew what he was doing and Phil and Terry have been friends for nearly, nearly 30 years or just mm-hmm. about 30 years um, and it was quite nice that they were both being inducted into the Hall of Fame in the same kind of round of inductees on the same night. Um, And so we brought them together to kind of recap on their careers um, and also kind of just share their thoughts on the progress of the technology and the industry. So um, we're going to start with their kind of introductions to AM and how they got started in the industry.
3: Terry, how how did you get involved in what became known as rapid prototyping. What was your first exposure to the technology?
2: Yeah, that was back in 1987. Okay. And this was before 3D systems or anyone that, you know, had uh, introduced the technology. I read a uh, like a one paragraph article in a newsletter. Uh, back then everything was print and sent by snail mail, but in any case from uh, Joel Orr, uh, then a mentor and, and friend. But in any case, it talked about 3D systems and lithography. And the description was intriguing. I just, wow, if this if this works as reported, this is uh this could be as powerful as CAD solid modeling. And in fact, in combination with it, it could be incredibly useful. And so I, I called 3D systems. They shipped to me three things: a brochure, but more interest, interestingly, a videotape, VHS videotape, that showed the process, and this was even pre-beta. It was a really a basic process uh, back then uh, that they had recorded, and then also a full-scale automotive part, uh, distributor cap, if, uh, if you mm-hmm. can call it yep. those are. I think you do. Yep. And uh, I, my jaw hit the floor I, when I watched the video, and I held this part. I go, wow, this is incredible, and that was really the the spark that lit the fuse that has been burning uh you know uh, warmly ever since in fact that uh, you know has increased you know my excitement and enthusiasm around it uh, as i'm sure it has for you too phil
3: yeah what about you when did you
2: first hear about it
3: it was in uh it was in november 1991 so a bit bit later um and at the time i was doing a a project for ford on low-cost tooling and the um they they arranged a, a meeting uh, with a guy from uh, ford in cologne a guy called rolf Hoosman. and so there was myself the uk ford guy rolf Hoosman, and a guy from a casting company called granger and Worrell. and we're sitting there around the around this desk at, at where it was at the university of nottingham at the time and uh, he started to explain this process called stereolithography and pulled some parts out of his bag and put them on the table. And I remember just looking at the guy from Granger and Worrell and thinking, wow, you know, we just thought, this is it, you know, And for for me, you know, that was it. Like, you know, I've never, never done anything else since. (laughs) (laughs) Nor have I. (laughs) it, It was just such a revelation. I can remember, you know, it was being awestruck that this could be a process that we could use um because before that i i was do, um running uh the design of a uh, for a company making mountaineering and climbing equipment mm. and making prototypes was a pain in the neck it really was you know we we could do cad um so we had Basically, it is mostly 2D modeling with a little bit of 3D. Um, but 3D was just really, really slow. So we were using 2D modeling. And so I could get the CAD models, 2D CAD models, but then getting a prototype was just horrendous. You know, it was really expensive and took a really long time. So the idea that you could get a prototype within a day or so was just amazing. And and that that's how it started for me. Um it was um I will I'll never forget that moment. It was fantastic. So we we met at the management round table. That was in that was in California, wasn't it? The management roundtable conference? Yeah, if it's the one that
2: I I think I may have attended more than one, but uh, I know one was in 1992 because that's when we brought together yourself and a few others maybe yeah. a dozen of us got together and explored the, the, the possibility of uh, forming an association on the subject and you were there you're one of the founders yeah yeah. yeah yeah I
3: remember the meeting I remember, you remember the guy walking in uh, just after we'd started and joined us?
2: he he didn't know why he was there i think he was he he was looking for a free lunch or something i'm not sure (laughs) yeah
3: well i think he saw us all sitting there with a beer (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that looks like a good place (laughs)
2: yeah i do recall but yeah that was an important uh milestone i think in the history of additive what we now refer to as additive manufacturing and 3d printing You know, we put our heads together, and we had you know the likes of uh, Bud Brown of Gillette and Bern Schmidt of uh, Chrysler, and and you know I think there were about twelve or so of us, and and uh, we decided to form this association. We called it the Rapid Prototyping Association, and then, as you may recall, we decided that it would be we could grow it on our own, but maybe it would make more sense to have an established society or association adopt us and yeah. we could be a part of it. And you, you may recall too, Phil, that we interviewed three different organizations, one of which was uh, SME, Society of Manufacturing Engineers. And we, you know, became the clear choice. And then in 1993 is when we uh, formalized that with uh, with SME. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, a long time ago. <laughs>
3: yeah. And yeah, became... Uh quite a big group for SME didn't it yeah, yeah
2: one of the most active uh, associations and then they reorganized uh, many years later into these uh, what do they, they call them uh, communities so and uh, today it's the added manufacturing community uh, at SME but still quite active and uh, you know just last week was the rapid plus Tct event. Mm-hmm. And of course, the association really was the um, well it was a very very much a part of getting it off the ground with SME's help, of course. But um, yeah, so it's going strong, and you know, it's a big, it's a major exposition and conference as well. So
3: yeah, it was fun yeah. to be a
2: part of it. I haven't missed a one. I've attended every really? single one wow. of them all thirty years or whatever. I think it's been about thirty. So yeah, yeah.
3: Wow, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it is a big event. It's uh, it's it's good. The I think quite a lot of the uh, the meetings in in the US tend to be really good as well. So um, you know, the the you know, the solid freeform fabrication is is the leading research meeting, and and then AMUG is is another really good meeting as well. So yeah. you, you're very fortunate in the US that you've. You've got a good collection of meetings there. Well, you do in Europe
2: as well, although I guess the UK isn't really technically a part of Europe any longer. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> that, that region of the world, you have many events. Of course, you have Formnext, not that uh, far from you, and yep. that's the, the biggest of all. But but you're right, the Solid Freeform Fabrication Symposium in Austin, Texas every year is the is the oldest. You know, it's the longest running event in uh, yeah. in industry and then of course AMUG has been around for a very long too it's evolved over the years but uh it's uh it's hitting on all cylinders it's an excellent event i attended it for the first time believe it or not in, in 17 years this past uh, i don't know month month and a half ago and it was excellent they they do a fabulous job yeah i'm so glad uh the the only reason i haven't attended it uh, in previous years i uh, had you know like say 17 years ago back then it was the I think the stereolithography and selective laser sending uh, users group. And then that's, that was part of the evolution into a broader event. But in any case, it always, almost always coincided with the publication of the Woolers report. And yeah. and so it was either the same week or the week before the week after the three busiest weeks of the year for us. So uh, that's, that's the only reason I haven't been able to attend until uh, this year is uh, it was later. And so I was able to attend
3: yeah i think 17 years ago it would have been because it, it was the North American stereolithography user group right, right. Yeah. and and i think then separately there was the selective laser sintering user group and they, they were quite separate um and they they joined right to, exactly. together um wow. because there was also the European stereolithography user group as well mm. That's and right. that that sort of Slowly died in the end, uh, which was a shame because it, uh, it was a good meeting as well. Uh, so, so the you you mentioned the report there. When when was the first report? When when did you do the first one?
2: It was in uh, nineteen ninety six. So the first okay. Woolard report. Uh, we published the twenty seventh annual edition in March of this year. So we've been keeping it uh, going and broadening the the team we had uh about 90 people if you add up everyone working on it. about 90 people in 33 countries working on it we have a core team of course and, and so uh yeah we're we've never been happier uh, about the publication of the report and i'll have to get you involved again phil Uh maybe you can write some uh, historical
3: perspective uh, i know at one time didn't you contribute at one time uh yeah yeah i did did uh for for a few years yeah 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 oh yeah. So,
2: uh, yeah we rotate people on and off and then back on again so uh, it might be time to, to get you involved so yeah. but uh yeah that was uh, a long time ago 27 years
4: ago so.
0: we'll rejoin terry and phil a little bit later but now we're going to hear from the 2022 inductee into the tc hall of fame um, back in May, we announced Diana Kalish, Elaine Hunt, Jean-Pierre Proof, Melissa Orme, Nord and Wilhelm Miners as the nominees for this year. And after much deliberation from the TCT Expert Advisory Board, they voted Elaine Hunt as the 2022 inductee. And personally, I'm really happy about this because um, I've said it so many times and you know you shouldn't have favourites, but um, Elaine is one of... My favorite people that I've ever interviewed because just the way she spoke about the technology, so enthusiastic about it. Even though she's re- retired now, she you know some of the stories she told about starting in the industry, you know, those first part she held, how she became you know a leader of the the lab at Clemson University, and yeah, she's just such an inspirational person. And our CEO Duncan Ward um, got on stage to introduce Elaine and told a story that I've heard from quite a few people now about uh, Elaine you know getting up and. Um, standing on a, on a chair at an early AMUG um, gathering and, you know, disagreeing with people and, and just really just telling it like it, it was. And I think that's really cool. She's such a worthy inductee into the Hall of Fame. And I must say, I'm really glad to finally have a woman in there. I think we're going to hear from Elaine now. it's um, a really great speech.
4: Greetings to each of you from beautiful South Carolina. I regret that I'm unable to join you in this momentous celebration. I am so grateful to TCT for including me in this incredible honor. Like the students who used to work in the lab would ask, you mean I get paid to do this? I have to ask, you mean I get honored for having done this? The rapid prototyping industry has been an exciting part of my career at Clemson. I especially want to thank Dr. Larry Dooley for asking me to be a part of his Intelligent Design Laboratory. Also, Dr. Frank Paul, Dr. Amit Bocci, Dr. Amode Ogley, and Dr. George Fidel, along with other faculty who provided student support for the laboratory. Students such as Chuck Kirschman, Kumar Chalasani, and Kamesh Tada, and others whose research kept the lab humming with excitement. I also want to thank the inventors who became entrepreneurs to bring their dreams to the marketplace. I remember your lean years when funding was scarce and machine sales were few. I'm so thankful that you persevered during these very tough times. I also want to thank the early adopters who believed in the technology, such as Rich Benin, who mortgaged his home to buy an SLA-1. Dave Flynn, Tom Mueller, Al DeWitt, and others left stable employment to open service bureaus when the world said the technology would not last. They provided a safe employment for industry to be able to explore whether this technology fit their uh, market plan. Also, beta users, Dick Albin, Fred Steinbauer. Paul Blake, Edgar Julo, and others saw the industry needed an independent user group and they worked diligently to form one with a good foundation. Also, Tom Sorvitz, Steve Deek, and Tim Gornett, along with others worked diligently to bring the individual user groups into an industry-wide community. I want to thank the people at the University of Helsinki When they saw the need for worldwide communication, they solved the problem by establishing the Rapid Prototyping Mail List, the RPML. It became the gathering place for questions, announcements, and many times disagreements, but yet the moderators were able to keep us together. Thank you guys. I also want to thank TCT for being a vital communication link between the user and vendor communities through the years. I remember early on meeting TCT representative at meetings I would attend. You provided critical and timely information to assist the industrial community with questions that they might have about technology and applications. I urge you to keep up the good work. Let me say that I, I am so appreciative and thankful for the support that my family has given me over the years. They are my life's greatest blessings, and I love them dearly. As I close, I want to express again my thanks to TCT for including me in such a distinguished group. I am deeply humbled and very grateful. Thank you so much.
1: We also handed out the TCT Women in 3D Printing Innovator Award last night, uh, again with an extensive shortlist that included Diana Kalish, Eliana Fu, Ellen Lee, Candice Miejewski, and Katie Milne. Uh, This award was put to a public vote, uh, which we opened at the beginning of the year, um, and Eliana Fu, who is the industry manager for Aerospace and Medical at Trump, was decided as the winner. Uh, she was present at the event to accept her award last night, and again gave a fantastic speech. Um, but now, we're going to listen to a fireside chat that she participated in this week with Laura and uh, Kristen Mulheron, who is the Women in 3D Printing president. So, let's talk a little bit about Women in 3D Printing then. We
0: are here at this Women in 3D Printing fireside chat. Kristen, you took over as the president last year of Women in 3D Printing. It is a huge role. I know you're always super busy with it. What made you want to take on this position and just tell us a little bit about what your ambitions are with Women in 3D Printing?
5: Oh gosh. Um, well, I guess I'll start with this at the beginning. So about four years ago, I was the Portland, Oregon ambassador is how I got involved in Women in 3D Printing in the first place. Uh, where I live in Port- is, is in Portland, Oregon. Um, and honestly, I did it um, largely because I was starting my own business and it was, you know, good for networking, you know. I, I, it was, I had um, not the altruistic altru- ambitions, I think, that, um, you know, you would expect, but the thing that's really interesting is as I got further and further into it and I got to know more and more people, my passions and my, my, my drive to, you know, kind of expanding this, this organization really grew exponentially, you know. Um, I realized I didn't get into AM until well within my career, and a big reason for that is, you know, I graduated with an engineering degree from school, and I had no idea what my options were um, in terms of careers. You know, I happened to fall into aerospace, um, you know, but it was totally unintentional. And then I just fell into, and then ultimately I fell into AM. And I just, I really want to be able to set, um, show people some young women out there, you know, some of the opportunities that you can have. You know, you don't have to have an engineering degree. We have Sarah Gerkey on our on our board that she had a theater degree. Um, you know we have a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds, and there's a lot of opportunities that I think is really interesting and really important to show young women and and men out there um, what the what you could do essentially and be a bit more intentional about it. Um, uh, I forget what the rest of the question was. <laughs> So the ambitions with it, so um, Woman in 3D Printing was started originally as a blog uh, seven or eight years ago and ultimately was began as the, the, the motto I suppose was closing the gender gap within added manufacturing. Um, we came to realize over the last year or so you know, that it was a bit we could do a lot more with it. We've we've grown exponentially over the last few years and there's a lot more we, we could we could attack and so we kind of changed our, our viewpoint on things and now our, our statement I suppose is more along the lines of we want to create an industry that's more representative of the world we live in. Um, and you know, what that means obviously is, you know, you look around, look at the outside world, look at you know what that population looks like, and you look around you know this event and any event name and you can see it's obviously it's not it's not the same population. So we just want to kind of translate that you know more, um, not just women, LGBTQ, um, different you know racial profiles, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educations. You know it's it needs to be more more holistic. Um, and, and I, the reason I feel quite so strongly about that is, you know, we have this industry that's so fast moving and there's so much going on. And if we all have the same human in one team, it's, you're just not going to innovate at the speed that you need to be able to be competitive. So it's, you know, outside of the societal impacts of this, really, truly for business, you know, we need to have a lot of different viewpoints. You know, I'm hiring a bunch right now for my team. And I want to, you know, if we are going to actually move as fast as we need to go, we need to have people from, varying degrees of education, different kinds of backgrounds, different kinds of you know, where they grew up, where, what their perspectives are. Um, and so other than, like I said, the more altruistic viewpoints, it's critical to be successful as a business as well.
0: Yeah, and I've thankfully heard that quite a bit this week too, just speaking to exhibitors and um, something I'm hearing is people looking for that creative element when they're looking for um, new people on their teams, they're not necessarily thinking about what a traditional engineer looks like, but think about these other skills as well that can be really beneficial to such a fast-paced industry like ours. Eliana, last night you took home the award which is right in front of you there and this year's TCT Women in 3D Printing Innovator Award. It's an award that we established with the Women in 3D Printing Network in 2019 um, to recognise all of the great work happening with women in 3D printing and um, you're such a worthy winner Eliana and I just wanted to just, just comment on how you feel about taking home this award and also just about the importance of shining a light on the achievements of women in our industry.
6: Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, so honored to get this award, I can't even tell you, Um, when I saw the the other um, nominees in the list, I was blown away because all of them are powerhouses in their own right and all of them could and should be winners, Um, so the fact that I walked away with this, I can't even believe it. But um, I also have been very involved with women in 3D printing. Actually, our Los Angeles chapter ambassador, Lindsay Zindrosky, um, drafted me in. Um, So we did a couple of events with her when I was at Relativity Space. And events for women in 3D printing can be anything from like a lunch and learn to a simple happy hour where you're just networking with people over a beer. And believe me, near SpaceX, there's plenty of like nice breweries there. <laughs> um, so we, we used to do a lot of that kind of thing as well. And um, uh, I also got involved, or I was drafted, by uh, Mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti. Um, he had a, a committee for advanced manufacturing. So it's basically looking at technologies, including additive manufacturing, to make um, companies and industry All kinds of industry in the Los Angeles area and surrounding, um, more innovative and more up to date, and to increase job turnover and and so forth. And so, all of those things together, I thought, what a great way to network and pull this stuff together. Um, 50% of people who attend the meetings are straight up looking for jobs, and I think that is exactly how you're going to recruit into the industry because everybody wants to get involved so I thought that that's a great way to meet people and network and um, find out information and find out information on the companies and the employers and the people the machine manufacturers and powder suppliers and all those kind of things where you can get involved and it, it, you don't even have to be an engineer you might even be interested in like the finance side or the marketing side or if you're a designer uh, how to use that creative part of your brain that some people don't access on a daily basis because we're just plowing through getting material out the door. So I think that um, this organization helps pull all that together. And then for young people, um, especially the sort of uh, middle school girls, for example, that w- uh, we did a lot of work with middle school girls of color particularly because those seem to get lost at a certain age and then don't enter into STEM careers because they don't even know that those things are open to them so organizations like women in 3d printing help bring those things together and especially in the Los Angeles or Inglewood area where we were in um, early days of relativity that's an area that's not very well represented in STEM careers and so identifying those people before they get lost in whatever system that they get uh, moved into um, it's it's a huge huge um, an important step forward and um, I then moved to—I got to say—I moved to Las Vegas, so I moved back into my old house. Um, and there really isn't much three D printing industry there. So now I kind of help women in three D printing on a kind of national basis. So, for example, if there's a chapter, there is a chapter in Detroit, and I help that ambassador. There's a chapter in chicago and then so trump has sponsored many women in 3d printing events all over the country in fact so that's been a great thing to be part of
0: so i just want to kind of continue with something you mentioned then about you know inspiring the next generation and i know that women in 3d printing has your next gen program i know that you're going to be doing a lot more with that especially with your partnership that was announced with sme um earlier this year and so eliana there was a a comment that you made in a recent issue of SMEs Voices of Five magazine that I wanted just to get you to elaborate on a little bit and you talked about how you discovered material science and it was this moment of realising that's about what's finding out what stuff is made out of uh, which is such a, a kind of a, a simple way to look at it um, and it kind of lit the spark and interest in, in that industry and I just wondered if you think um, there's a better way that maybe this industry might be able to communicate with the next generation, you know, to, to light that spark in them. You know, what what really do we need to be to be saying about this industry? I
6: mean, if you're an engineer, I think for especially in metal AM, your fundamentals comes from traditional material science, and so we've been doing traditional metallurgy for 7,000 years or since the Bronze Age. So basically, if you think of like traditional um, processes and how they translate into additive. So laser powder bed fusion is like the offspring of casting and welding. If you understand casting and welding from the traditional world, you will have a place in metal AM. You know, there's the understanding is is still there, it's just the microstructure, well, <laughs> Melpool is like much smaller, you know, so those things take place on a, a, a micro level or, or nano level, if, if you like. So I, th- but I think that curiosity and the drive to understand what is stuff made out of, or how can I make stuff better. So I've never worked for that company, but I like the company motto of the company Philips, which is let's make things better. And I think that's what the definition of an engineer is. is someone who uses the application of science to make things better. And you can think of yeah, additive manufacturing special i got to go back to metal AM all the time because that's what I know. So sorry about that. But um, that's kind of like how I feel. Um, if you want to take the best things that you know of the traditional metal working world, and I worked in Sheffield, where it's like metal bashing home of stainless steel and stuff like that. But it's also new technology, laser AM, things like that, advanced manufacturing, and then making using those tools or the know-how to translate into this new technology to make the part better, to make it faster, more efficient, um, more lightweight, and you know, reduce your bite-to-fly ratio, all of those things that
0: we've been interested in for, forever, basically. Kristen, what about you? Any thoughts on how we might inspire that in the next generation?
5: Oh, gosh. Um, before, before I do want to make one real quick comment, though, is that it's funny because my background's in material science as well. Um, and it's exactly, I had the exact same reason I went into material science (laughs) was to understand why things are the way they are Um, and it's funny to see, just as a a side note, you know, when I was studying material science that um, no one even knew what it was, like it was like a really, you know, I don't know if you had the same experience and now it's such a huge um, part of this industry so that's pretty cool Um, but you know, I think uh, for me, honestly, I don't think inspiring people to you know into this industry is a, is hard, you know? It's more about, because it's a cool industry. Who doesn't want to work in 3D printing? Who doesn't want to work in an industry that is literally, you know, taking off and we're only just at the very beginning right now. I mean, it's just, to me, it's a no-brainer. And so it's not about coming up with creative ways to inspire people, it's just getting people exposed to it, right, and, and I think, again, that's what a lot of women 3D printing is about, is, you know, just telling people that this is what we do, and this is the opportunities that you, that you can have if you if you get involved. Um, and I think, you know, to kind of expand on something that Eliana was talking about with the uh, happy hours, is that, you know, it's so fun to go to these happy hours, because you socialize and you network with what you people would traditionally say are your competitors, let's say. And I've never once, when I was at HP, I never thought of Carbon as a competitor, because realistically, it's, it's one of the things that makes this industry so cool is it's really our real competitors is traditional manufacturing and our real competitor is just that lack of knowledge and that lack of adoption and so you know when you look at traditional what you think is traditional competitors we're really all working together as this one big community to kind of battle the outside people you know Um, and I love that about it and that's one of the things that I've gotten a lot of with being a part of Women in 3D printing is socializing and networking with all these different people um, that I wouldn't have spoken with before and I think those people I find are what really inspires me and what really drives me is getting that big exposure of the possibilities out there.
0: Now, I do want to move on to more about the technology itself, but I'm so glad that you both just talked so passionately about materials because that segue is quite nice into my next question. So we're increasingly hearing in additive manufacturing that it all starts with materials, materials we know are super important, you've both got backgrounds in materials. Is that a sentence you would agree with that it all starts with materials and also what's kind of Interesting you most
5: in that area right now? Well, I think we're a bit biased, for starters, so. <laughs> yeah, of course it starts with materials.
6: <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it's also the process. So typically, like the last two jobs that I had before Trump, um, so at SpaceX and at Relativity Space, the team that I was in was M&P, materials and process. You really can't have a product without one or the other. If one fails, the other one fails. If, if the material works but the process doesn't, you won't get a part. If the process works but the material isn't available, you won't get a part. And so part of that also is, um, I want to print this, can I, can I do this? Uh, yeah, you can do it, but material isn't available. Why isn't the material available? No one's developed the parameters. Why has no one ever developed the parameters? Because material's not available. Why is material not available? Because no one's ever asked to, to make this part that way that you want to do it. And so it's a chicken and egg. So for, for example, in space, and i sorry, I've got a to bias towards space because that's where I've been working lately. Um, there were so many things that lend themselves to Metal AM, for example. Um, so rocket engines and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So where's the material going to come to print those? But more importantly, what machine are you going to do it on? What is the platform that you're doing on? So you can't really have one without the other. If they're not working in
0: sync, you'll never get a part. I've any of the comments have been biased towards materials.
5: <laughs> um. No, I think, I think Eliana really touched on it really well, I mean, it, 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 my background as well as M&P Engineering. So, um, I, I'm going to have a very similar viewpoint on that, is that, you know, the processes. Um, you know, the one thing that um, I think we haven't touched on, though, is, you know, you, Eliana talked on, you know, how, uh, if you have a background in traditional manufacturing, it translates quite well, and I think it's something that we need to focus on a little bit more. Because I think one of the one of the down one of the faults we have as an industry is we're too focused on additive manufacturing and not and almost really reinventing the wheel. There's so much that could be learned from traditional manufacturing, and that's where you know at Nexa with the product line I'm working on, you know I'm trying to bring that more in because uh, you know things like automation and things um, that are already exist in let's say injection molding. We need to start adopting that and bring that into our industry and not try to reinvent everything from scratch based on it, what you know am and i think that that's probably one of the few things i think where we're, we're a little bit we have it a little bit wrong i um, mean we need more people that come from traditional manufacturing to help us make grow, grow faster in that way
0: it really was a great discussion uh you know we managed to cover so many important topics so many important challenges and including things like supply chains and sustainability and diversity, and just talk about the mission of women in 3D printing. And it was great to have Eliana on there as another really worthy winner of the TCT from 3D Printing Innovator Award. Uh, Sam, so I'm gonna pass back to you now for the last segment.
1: Yeah, so now we're going back to the discussion between Terry and Phil. Uh, we picked the conversation up as the pair share their biggest frustrations and surprises while working in the AM sector
2: i guess my biggest frustration is you know why can't this happen uh, a bit more quickly than what's been about 34 or 35 years and and i think it really comes down to cost uh, largely cost and and you know if you look at for certain volumes and you know this as well as anybody phil there's a break-even point where it's less expensive to do it one way and more expensive uh, you know uh, if you hit a certain volume and And But a challenge with many of these companies is it's not just a simple calculating the break-even point. You you have to take into account uh, the redesign. In other words, if you just take the part as it's being produced today the old-fashioned way and use that same design for additive manufacturing, as you know, it probably will not add up. It it won't make uh, a lot of sense. But once you start consolidating many parts into one, uh, removing material to reduce weight, uh, maybe increasing performance all of these elements become interesting but difficult to quantify in other words you almost have to train your people or have somebody come in and do it for you to really determine whether or not it's a good business case meaning you know does it is it a good fit for that particular company and that's that's i think maybe part a big part of the reason why it's uh, companies are relatively slow to adopt this because it does require uh, a lot of, of research development uh, study and, and uh estimation as to where it might go within their organization
3: yeah yeah i guess the you know the probably the biggest surprise for me is just how long all this has taken um because the the first project we did looking at those break even costs was back in 1996. Uh, with a company called Flymo, who, who made hover mowers at the time. And and we, we showed clearly then that for the smaller parts, you know, that there was one in particular, the break-even point was 6,000 parts. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we started to, to push the idea of manufacturing with this technology. And and it took a long time to to gain any any traction. Um, So I think that's been one big surprise for me. And and then I I guess the other surprise is how long it took for metal. um, Processes to 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 get really established and, and become really good because we did a, a European project in, I think it started in 94. And one of the partners was uh, Krupp in Germany. And, and after, I think it was probably about 18 months into the project, they had a, um, a metal powder system, laser powder system. They're working really well. And, and produced a, at the time, it produced a forging tool, which um, was probably about, in, in you know, an imperial units, about six-inch diameter and about three three inches high, quite a big, chunky tool, and, and the density was really high. And, and so, you know, it wasn't until many years later that we started to see parts like that again, you know, that were a really good density. Um, so I think some of the the speed that things happen, developments happen, is is a bit frustrating at times. You expect them to occur much much sooner. Uh, it takes quite a long time.
2: Uh, yeah, it really does. Uh, last week at uh, Rapid TCT, someone said, and I won't name the person or the session, but they said, "Yeah, in the last five years, it's uh, improved by an order of magnitude." And I scratched my head with that comment because others were agreeing. And you know, that's a, a 10x improvement. It depends on what measures you're looking at, but pretty much by any measure, whether it's quality, speed, repeatability, cost, whatever, uh, in five years, maybe probably at best 50%, but probably closer to 10 to 20% or, or maybe 30, not 10, 10 X. So I, I was a little puzzled by that. And uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, it's moving, but not nearly as, uh, as quickly as some of us would like. And then the metals, you know, you mentioned that Phil, I, I, I maybe disagree a little bit on that because if you look at the metal systems that, you know, they were, they really didn't start to gain traction until about maybe 20 years or so after the polymer systems And what I found interesting about the metal systems is two things. One is that they were developed in a more open way where you could introduce third-party materials more easily than the the, the very closed system architectures of the polymer systems, um, primarily from some of the bigger established companies that offer them. And then also the adoption of those metal systems for production. So. They were kind of bypassing you know yeah they would use them to prototype because well of course you would do that because you're going to manufacture with them but companies were have been really you know even from near near the beginning buying the systems with the intent to use them for series production almost Mm -hmm. from the beginning which is very very different uh, than the polymer systems which to this day still are being used widely for modeling and prototyping, some tooling applications, but you know, arguably, still the most uh, popular application is, is prototyping.
3: So, in in terms of we've talked about the, the the developments, have there been many disappointments? I guess that probably the biggest for me is is in the the strategy that we did for for additive manufacturing. Mm. So we did do a national strategy for additive manufacturing in the UK, um, and it just didn't get taken up by the government, which was a real shame. Um, mm. I think because with if we'd have implemented that, the UK could have been certainly the one of the leading countries in the adoption of additive manufacturing, whereas I don't think we are now. Um, I think there's lots of other countries that are either uh, ahead of us or just doing just as well as we are. So Mm. I think that's probably the biggest disappointment.
2: Yeah, that's um, that's unfortunate because, I mean, the the talent and, you know, the the, the people that had been working in the early years, like yourself and, and many others, at you know, Loughborough University and University of Nottingham and Sheffield University, and the list goes on, yeah. um, you know, great work. And, and companies, too, uh, yeah. BAE, BAE and, and uh, GKN and uh, other companies, too, that have really been, in some ways, pioneers in this industry. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate the, the government didn't uh, really adopt and promote and expand that, uh, that program.
3: Yeah, it's been quite interesting, you know, because if if you look at how government in the US has has, has helped, um, certainly Barack Obama was um, was quite um, vocal in his support for for the technology. Um, so I think I think you you've been quite fortunate in in the US and. And also, I think the the big advantage the U.S. has is there's a big defense, um, if you like, body, um, not not just the military, but you know, companies, and and they've really taken to the technology, and, and really helped push it. So,
2: I agree. Well, uh, I guess a case in point would be the Department of defense here in the United States being the principal sponsor of American Makes, which was launched in, in uh, 2012 as a public-private partnership. And it, I think, has done a lot to, to uh, at the very least, uh, provide inspiration, but, but perhaps more importantly, provide a platform for um, pre-competitive of, uh, research and development. And so, bringing companies together and receiving funding to to sponsor specific uh, efforts around, for example, qualification of materials and, and and a long list of other projects. So, so yeah, we we do feel fortunate that uh, here in the U.S., we we have uh, been supported not only from the federal government, but also many state and even local governments have been supportive.
3: Yeah. I think the other the other thing that's been really interesting working in this area is the number of really interesting and enthusiastic people that you come across um I it's it's not something that I've witnessed in any other technology area you know the, the sheer volume of of people that uh, are so enthusiastic is 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 just great, and you end up working with lots of fantastic people.
2: Yeah, uh, I could not agree more, Phil. You know the the passion that we see. You know, last week and at a mug and at uh, you know thirty years, it seems like it hasn't. If anything, it's it's uh, grown, and I, you know it's it's contagious. It's uh, you know among people of all ages. When you have you know individuals who are just so incredibly uh, excited about what they do and where this is going in the future. Others want to learn more about it. They want to be a part of it. And so it's, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we continue to attract some of the best and brightest minds out there into additive manufacturing, because there's a lot of problems that need to be solved. It's not all rosy, you know, it's uh, still expensive and relatively slow and we need more materials broader adoption, uh, you know, the material qualification and certification uh, challenges that companies are facing. And uh, we were at a company in Israel uh, a couple of weeks ago, a different company than I, uh, and they they can design, and this is a very sophisticated aerospace organization. They can design and manufacture something entirely new with sophisticated, you know, Part, consolidate, part consolidation, uh, internal channels, and so forth. They can do it in four to six weeks, but it can take longer than to certify the design, yeah. uh, and so it can take another two months after that. And it's like you know, what can we do differently to streamline this effort? So those kinds of things are, uh, are are challenges that need to be overcome.
3: Yeah, well, certainly you know we we found in the UK that it's easier. To get students, like PhD students, to become involved in in this technology, than in many other engineering areas, because it's such an exciting area to be in.
2: Uh, people can relate to it. I mean, it cuts across so many industrial sectors and applications, and it's tactile. You know, people can pick it up and and look at it, and and that's I think a big part of. You know, the excitement is, you know, they, they can relate to to these parts, whether it's footwear or eyewear or automobile parts, uh, whatever. It's um it's it, you know, mini mes you know, <laughs> the companies are 3D scanning and, and and you know, 3D printing in color uh people. And and so yeah, it's just um it, it's just a very, you know, I haven't looked back once. I mean, I just feel so fortunate to have fallen into this area and it's just uh it's been a great ride.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's been fantastic. It's, um, I guess my only regret is I'm not a, a PhD student starting out now in this area because <laughs> there's, there's, there's even more to do in the future and I'm sure it'll be, become even even more interesting.
0: And that's about it for our TCT 360, TCT Awards, TCT Hall of Fame, TCT Women <laughs> in Printing <Food laughs> Innovator Award, TCT, TCT, TCT special yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah (laughs) thank you so much for listening and if you've joined us at tcc 360 this week and at the tcc awards it's been absolutely great to have you here we hope it's been um a valuable week for you we've certainly enjoyed ourselves but i think we've earned a rest now
1: we've got nine more minutes if you want to head back out beyond this lovely glass window um if we can go
0: in the direction of
1: coffee yes we can do that we can definitely do that (laughs)
0: And so thanks again. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And for even more additive insight, head over to tstmagazine.com to get your free print subscription to TCT Magazine and get the biggest 3D printing news stories of the week delivered straight to your inbox every Sunday.